This is the Author Biz Podcast with Stephen Campbell, session number two. Welcome to the Author Biz Podcast. I'm Stephen Campbell, and each week I'll bring you interviews, information, and insights focused on the business of being an author. You can find the episode show notes, links to everything mentioned in the show, and lots more information at theauthorbiz.com. Hello, hello, and welcome, everybody. This is the Author Biz Podcast. Today is Monday, July 7th. I'm coming to you from Naples, Florida, where my wife and I just spent a very pleasant and very traditional 4th of July weekend, braving the 90-degree temperatures and the full sun to enjoy our local parade. We ate plenty of barbecue with family and friends and neighbors and watched some great fireworks. It was a great weekend, and there's been a lot of good reading involved as well. I'd like to thank you for listening and thank everyone that listened to our first episode last week. If this is your first episode, be sure and check out episode number one. You can find us at theauthorbiz.com. My guest this week is Darren Wearmouth, an independent, soon-to-be hybrid author who managed to sell 60,000 copies of First Activation, the very first book he published. Within three months of publishing the book, he was able to quit his job to pursue his goal of becoming a full-time writer. Now, a short 10 months later, he's got a deal to republish First Activation and a sequel with 47 North, the Amazon imprint for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. And he's just released the first book in a new series with co-author Colin Barnes called Critical Dawn. In this interview, Darren shares his deep love of writing, data, and experimenting with different promotional strategies, including one strategy he's tried that he calls his most successful to date. I would say that the best thing to do, um, which does blow away everything else, is to make sure that your ads are clustered. Um, Quite often, I read on boards someone saying, I used Book Blast and I sold some on the day, but nothing happened after that. Or I used... um, Kindle books and tips, so you know, sold 20, 30 copies, and then it just went back to normal. But the the way the Amazon algorithms operate, and this is kind of you can I can figure it by looking at the data, is that um, they favour books that have sustained sales at a lower level over a longer period, rather than a large individual spike. In news for authors, Publishers Weekly reported last week that author Douglas Preston had been quietly circulating a letter to other writers that encourages readers to write Amazon CEO and founder Jeff Bezos. The letter, which calls on Amazon to resolve its dispute with Hachette without hurting authors and without blocking or otherwise delaying the sale of books to its customers, is something Preston initially hoped a handful of other authors would sign. He wound up collecting hundreds of signatures. Preston quickly found support from other traditional publishing stars like David Baldacci, James Patterson, and Joseph Finder. According to the article, since news of the letter became public, other high-profile authors, including Stephen King, Nora Roberts, and hundreds of others have contacted Mr. Preston and asked to be added to the list. On Wednesday, the day the news of the Preston letter leaked to the media, Author Hugh Howey took the other side of the debate, calling on independently published authors to, ch- to sign a change.org petition, thanking readers for their support, explaining self-published authors' side of the Amazon Hachette feud, and asking them not to boycott Amazon. I recorded this intro on Sunday morning, and at that time the petition had exceeded 4,000 signatures. 
This is an emotionally charged issue for many people, but at its heart, it's a business negotiation between two huge international companies. It's a fight about money and pricing control. Both companies want it, and unfortunately, while these giants squabble, it's the author community that suffers. But at least one Hachette author is not suffering. In one of those lightning strikes of good fortune that occasionally happen, debut author Eden Lupucky's novel, California, was signaled out by TV host Stephen Colbert, a Hachette author himself, during a bit on a television program where he discussed the dispute with his typically humorous style and encouraged his viewers to pre-order California from Powell's, an independent bookseller based in Portland. A New York Times article by Brooke Barnes referred to this as winning the literary lotto. According to the article, the book is now one of the most pre-ordered debut titles in Hachette history, and the initial print run has been expanded to 60,000 copies. Last week, I mentioned The Silkworm, the new book by J.K. Rowling's written under the pseudonym Robert Galbraith, had missed out on the Digital Book World Top 25 ebook list due to the lack of pre-orders at Amazon. Well, The Silkworm, as well as another Hachette title, Invisible, by James Patterson and David Ellis, have both moved into the Digital Book World Top 5. You'll find links to everything mentioned in the news section, as well as everything in the interview section, at theauthorbiz.com slash session2, and that's the number 2. I'd like to thank the listeners who were kind enough to email me last week. If you have questions, comments, or suggestions about the show, you can reach me through the AuthorBiz website, through our Facebook page, or just email me at authorbiz at gmail.com. My interview guest this week is author and self-proclaimed geek Darren Wearmouth. Darren spent six years in the Army before pursuing a career in corporate technology. After 15 years working for a large telecommunications firm and a startup, he decided to follow his passion for writing. Darren lives in Manchester, England, and we connected via Skype on June 24th. The interview began with me asking for an overview of Critical Dawn, his latest book, which was co-authored by Colin Barnes. Critical Dawn's a book I co-authored with Colin Barnes. Um, it's the second book we've co-authored together, and it's a science fiction alien invasion story. Um, I don't want to give too much away of the plot, but um, it starts off with two different stories, a group on a generation ship and uh, an archaeological team trying to investigate what happened to the uh, colonists on Roanoke Island. And those two stories somehow come together in the future, and it goes on from there. But... Um, yeah, uh, we both enjoyed writing it a lot, and it's doing quite well, and um, we're pleased with it. Now, I started reading uh, Critical Dawn a few days ago with the intention of just, you know, I'm, I, it was late at night. I'm just going to start reading, and I couldn't put it down. The way you guys ended each chapter from a point of view and then switched over to the next, it just made it, I mean, it's not a word, but unputdownable. And I, I even commented to my wife. It's like, I'm not going to be able to go to sleep tonight. I've just got to keep reading until I finally reach a point where I can break. And I didn't see one coming. That's uh, very nice of you to say so. The, uh, the beauty of uh, co-authoring with Colin is that we, we both take different points of view and we can essentially write two separate stories until they merge together later in the book. So Colin takes one point of view, I take the other, and we switch between the chapters um, so we can cut to different scenes, which I guess is one of the benefits of not doing first-person narrative. Um, we do close third-person point of view. And uh, we story plan it out at the start and write down all the chapters so we know exactly what we're doing um, up to a point. 
and we take it from there. And I'm glad you enjoyed it, and I'm I'm glad you you like the format of how we do things. I, I really did enjoy it. Now you said you 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 basically outlined the story up to a point. What do you mean up to a point? Well, when we the book we wrote before that is sequenced. That's not published yet, and that was a thriller, which was a, a slightly more complex plot, which we thought we had to plan all the way to the end. When we were writing these, um, Critical Dawn, we would do it 10 chapters at a time. Um, we knew where we, we were going to in the end, and we knew the turning point in the middle, and we knew where we were going to start. But um, when we did sequence, we had to go back and straighten out a lot of the characters, because later on in the book, as they developed, we realised there were different people from how we originally started them off. You know, it's funny. I don't know how people do that when they can just outline the whole book and then write it to the outline, because I, I'm the same way. Everything changes. And Ten chapters, depending on your chapter length, is that's that's a pretty far piece out. Yeah, yeah. Our chapters tend to be two to three thousand words, and we do about 38, 40 chapters in the book. Um, so ten felt, feels about right for us. But you're completely right. When we when we did sequence and we wrote all thirty eight chapters out, it changed. You know, we we cut two out. Um, the characters changed. Some of the plot changed. So we didn't want to extend ourselves that far because we spent two, three, four, five days planning on Skype, quite long hours to come up with that whole outline. And half of it was, I wouldn't say trashed, but it was modified. So this time when we did it, we thought, well, we'll, do, we'll take it more in bite-sized chunks. Now, what's the actual process for the two of you? you it, it sounds like you, you, you write alternating chapters, and then do you pass them back and forth and, and do the first-level editing yourself that way? Or how does it work? We use Dropbox and individual Word documents for each chapter we write. So we both share the Dropbox and we both put in the chapters we write as we go along. And we try to content edit each other as we go along <clears throat> in terms of what we've written in the outline. And we also catch up every few days to discuss how we're going and after we've read the chapters. So it tends to be pretty tight and, and only needs a quick second draft before we submit it to a content editor. Now, I've heard that you guys wrote Critical Dawn pretty quickly. What was the actual timeline for that? I think it was um, between us, it was about 30 days. Um, I mean, that's, that's quite quick, but if you consider it as an individual, that's 60 days. And um, if you put it at uh, 1,800 words or 2,000 words a day, you're there. You know, So uh, it, it sounds quick, but it's, it's probably not as impressive as it sounds because we're both full-time writers. At what point last year did you, you were in the technology business for a number of years, originally in the Army, and then went into the technology business, and at some point last year, you became a full-time writer. When was that? November last year, uh, first activation came out in August. It, it did quite well. Um, I had some money in the bank anyway, and I, I, I wanted to be a full-time writer. I loved it. And the royalties from first activation give me a little bit more freedom to be able to do that. And since then, I wanted to capitalize on that and make sure I didn't waste the opportunity because these things don't come along too often. So I'm working hard to produce, hopefully, good novels and keep it going. Now, you and I were chatting in a Facebook group, I don't know, towards the end of last year, I think. And that was the first time I'd, I'd seen your name was during that chat. And you, at that time, you mentioned First Activation and how many copies you had sold. And I, it just about knocked me off my chair when I realized that was your first book. And at that time, you had sold somewhere around 50,000 copies of the book. And that's astonishing to me. How did that, how did that all happen? 
Yeah, um, I, I think there was a number of elements what made it happen. Uh, I, I think the the story had quite a, a decent hook. Um, I'm, I've always been a sci-fi fan, especially in the post-apocalypse scene. And when I say post-apocalypse, not necessarily zombies, but a lot of the things like I Am Legend and Day of the Triffids, Lucifer's Hammer, things like that mm -hmm. um, on, on the beach. And uh, even films like 28 Days Later, I'd chuck into there. But if I could get, um, I just thought if I could produce my own thing, you know, on my own contribution that some people would read and maybe one or two would like, I'd, I'd be really pleased. And that's what I tried to do with First Activation. And, and part of that process was um, creating a decent blurb um, to introduce people to it, getting a nice cover. I used Rachel from Literary Designs. I think she charged about 200 or 150 Canadian dollars, and it, I think she did a real good job. So I just packaged it properly, and then I had it um, content edited by Harry DeWolf, and Mo copy edited it, Mo Make Happy. And from there, I, I did uh, a marketing campaign on the launch, and I launched it for 99 cents. I know some people think the book's worth that and everything, but um, it's very hard to define value. Because, um, I mean, it's a value is at an individual basis, isn't it? I mean, you know, what you value is completely different to what I value to an extent. And um, I just wanted as many people to read it as possible. I thought I'd done a good job. Um, <laughs> some people haven't liked it. A lot of people have liked it. But the the main, I think the main assistance with that was by using some of the... Um, marketing sites like uh, e-reading news today kindle books and tips bargain booksy and um, book blast which is now called book sense they, they were all pretty instrumental in getting me to near, near to the top of the charts and getting that visibility and i think once i got the visibility and people could see it and bought it they liked it and some word of mouth happened then because i was getting reviews from other people saying i had this recommended to me and i really liked it and i was receiving emails along the same similar lines as well so um it, it kind of uh, got a snowball effect for um, six months. Yeah, it, it really, it must have, because I, I can piece together the beginning of it. You were on the uh, self-publishing podcast with Simon Whistler on his episode number seven, and I'll put a link to that, because uh, in that show, you walk step by step by step through what your launch strategy was at that time, and things have changed since then. But at that time, I think you'd sold 700 copies. It was the first week. That, yep. um, that the book had been out. And to go from 700 to 50,000 in a few months, there's obviously a pretty big snowball that's, uh, that's gathering steam on the way down the hill. Yeah, it, it, was, it was really hard to understand. Um, Dom, my fiance, said to me, how, <coughs> how many do you reckon you might sell? Because it, it, it is in your mind. I mean, I know lots of people say, oh, I'm just doing it for the art and everything, but ultimately it's nice to get sales. And um, I said, I don't know. Um, you know, a few hundred before Christmas, perhaps, and that was in August. And um, yeah, I was, I was, I mean, you were knocked off your feet. I was knocked off my feet. You know, it, it's interesting. What was your best case scenario in realistically thinking when you wrote the book? How many did you think you'd sell? Not hope you'd sell, but did, realistically, did you think you'd sell? Um, um, best case scenario, I was hoping um, I could possibly sell 2,000 by Christmas. Yeah, I, I've I've kind of done some of those same numbers myself, and I think, yeah, if I could sell a couple thousand copies, I would be thrilled. And yeah. then all of a sudden, <laughs> you, you've you've sold fifty thousand, and that and that was some time ago. Where are you now with this, with sales for that? Um, after it was out um, five six months, it kind of slowed down a little bit. It's um, sold over sixty thousand now. Um, 
there's only a certain kind of lifespan for books on Amazon unless they're really, really good. And um, we managed to, because um, I thought three months, and it went on for about five, six before it started dropping off. Um, but it still sells well now. It still sells 25 copies a day. And, um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm pleased with it. It's building. And because of the success of it, 47 North come in and bought the series, and they're going to be relaunching First Activation with a new cover after they've got put their content editors through it and copy editors. And they'll be launching Second Activation as well sometime later this year. Okay, that that ex- answers another one of my questions. I uh, you you went from First Activation to Critical Dawn, but you had so much success with First Activation, it was sort of crying out for an immediate sequel, and uh, that explains why you have not uh, yet released the immediate sequel. Yeah, it does. Um, the, <clears throat> the some negotiations went on. Um, when these things started happening, like audio people coming in and I got a few offers from publishers, um, I thought I, I probably need to get an agent. And I did actually get a couple of offers. I, I got in touch with somebody who I thought I w- I'd like to represent me. It was Paul Lucas from Janko and Nesbitt. And he was a really good guy and spoke to him. He really got the indie scene. He, he read the book and he liked it. And we kind of went from there. And he represented me for um, that deal. Um, because I, I was still quite new to this and people were saying, um, I'll give you an advance for some audio and um, a small press saying, come with us and we'll do this and that. And I just, I didn't want to rush into anything because even um, cursory looks on the web and the internet, there's so many horror stories of people getting tied up with contracts that they end up not happy with very quickly. You're obviously a person that's incredibly data-driven. You come from a technology background. I've heard. I mean, you're you're tracking sales. You know what's you know what's going on with your individual books. Uh, are you changing sales prices and things like that when you see a little dip? Do you run a, a marketing promotion? What do you do to keep the interest at a at a high level? You mentioned you're still selling 25 copies a day. Most most authors would be thrilled with that. Yeah, the um, I mean, there's a number of different things. I mean, Colin and I for our collaborative work. I mean, we, we use Jason Gurley for cover design. I mean, we, we put a lot of, um, I mean, we do put a lot of effort into writing it. And there's a lot of quality there. And uh, we we get um, content edited by Aaron Sykes, and he does a great job. And we also use Mo for the copy editing. And we, we think the overall package, once you put it together, I mean, it's over, I would say, our book production costs are 1000 over $1,500. And um, we, we price... Accordingly, we, I mean, we, we think four ninety nine is okay for a book. But what we're going to do when we release Critical Path in two months is we're going to reduce the first book to two ninety nine to um, lower the level of resistance for anyone who want, wants to come into the series. Um, I mean, we also did the ninety nine cent launch for that, and it's doing quite well at the moment. I mean, you know, in a day or two, it should have tipped four thousand sales, mm-hmm. um, which is quite strong for that. And um, even when we uh, raised to four ninety nine. Um, it's going well. I mean, th- there's always the temptation there to put it at two ninety nine. You can sell more and everything, but at, at some point, um, you know, when you're having a look at this, you've got to think, well, what is the book really worth? And am I prepared to bite the bullet? Because it may be less sales, but it may be the same revenue because you only have to sell half of 
the level of 299 at 499 to get the same revenue. I just want to clean up something. You have twice men- mentioned Mo as a content editor. You and I both know who Mo is, but for people who are listening who don't know, it's Monique Happy Editorial Services. You, you also mentioned $1,500 basically in fixed costs to do the book. That's essentially what Russell Blake says as well. And uh, for people who don't know who Russell Blake is, he's a he, fabulously successful indie author who's been featured on uh, the, the cover of the Wall Street Journal and, and just kind of blew up over the course of the last few months. But he also writes very quickly, publishes a lot of books, and expects to spend money on his product. And that's what we're talking about with these books. They are products. You're a business person. You have a business and you're developing a product that you're offering for sale. Um, for, so there, there are a lot of independent authors out there who are uncomfortable spending money on their book because they don't know what's going to happen. But if, if you think of it more as a business than as a hobby or just something that you're trying uh, you know, if it's a business, you invest in your business, and you're investing basically at the same level as uh, Russell Blake. Yeah, I, I'm, and I mean, I, I can break it down for you as well. Um, uh, I mean, th- these costs aren't exact, but roughly um, for our content and copy editing together, um, that's about a thousand dollars for both of them, and um, because we think the two uh, edits are essential: the structural editing and then the copy editing and proofreading and um, also for the cover um, using Jason Gurley um, collectively um, and with the formatting, formatting included, that's what it costs. Um, and we also um, take in some of the launch, uh, the launch strategy costs in there as well. And it's not such a bad thing. I mean, the way I look at it uh, is if I was going to set up a new shop on a row of sparkling shops that are all attractive to the eye, I wouldn't give it a, a really bad storefront um, with just a few rotten vegetables inside. I want to make it equally or or better than all the rest of them so people will come in. Which makes perfect sense. Now, the cover for First Act, uh, I'm sorry, the the cover for Critical Dawn just knocked my socks off when I saw it. I I don't know whether you guys did a cover reveal, but I saw it on Facebook and it's like, oh my God, that's an amazing cover. And uh, you said that was Jason Gurley that did that? Yeah, Jason Gurley, he does um, Hugh Howie's books. He's actually doing Russell Blake's um, upgrades. Oh, is he? Okay. For Jet as well. He's really good. He's kind of ramping his um, cover design business down a little bit now because he wants to concentrate on his own rights. And he's got Eleanor um, coming out soon, which is a book that's years in the making. But he's a really nice guy and he's really easy to work with as well. And apparently puts a giraffe on the front of every cover in the way that he he does his filtering. I mean, I I can't find it myself, but that's what he says. Hmm. (laughs) Yeah. All right. So you you famously put together a seven day launch strategy for first activation, and that was in August of last year. Uh, in May of this year, Critical Dawn was released. What's changed in terms of a launch strategy for you over the course of that time? The main change is that the um, the advertising sites have upped their requirements for people coming in. When I first did it before, um, you could just go in and, and book a slot. They weren't really that hot. But nowadays, they ask for at least a certain amount of reviews. They'll have a look at your cover and um, a little bit of your content. Um, they, they tend to be a little bit more fussy. Uh, I mean, it's not a huge problem. It just means that the launch strategy has to be altered. And the way that we changed ours was uh, we give out advanced review copies to readers on the mailing list. And um, we also went for the 99 cent launch. 
And we also uh, got in touch with other writers and, and we put ourselves out there on our website and said, would anyone like an advanced review copy would en- for, in exchange for a fair review? So that's what we did to um, kind of get some early reviews to get us out there. And once once they come in, then we went to all those sites en masse and said, can you fit us in, in these days? And we even emailed some in advance and said, look, we've used you before and these are the books we've written before. Um, we've sent it out to 50 advanced review copy readers and we expect some reviews to come in. Are you happy to spot our launch at 99 cent? And there was only one um, site that said no. All the rest of them were happy to go along with us. So it, it's just a case of being proactive and getting in touch. And I, I don't just mean... Um, filling out the website form and hoping for the best. I mean, actually emailing them and explaining the whole plan and, and giving them a copy of the cover and a copy of the Moby file and letting them, you know, m- make a proper judgment. For, for those who actually required a, a certain number of reviews after, <clears throat> excuse me, the launch date, what was the timing from the actual launch date to when you could actually start your marketing, your paid marketing program? It was about... It's only about five days for us because okay. we got our reviews quite quickly. Um, I mean, a lot of people loved it early on, and um, thankfully for us, they gave us a review, which was very good, but not loads. I mean, I, I think out of the 50 advanced review copies we give out, we only got about 10 reviews back, but that was enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, let's, let's talk a little bit about reviews. First activation, I, I don't remember the exact number of reviews, but it's over 700, I think. Yeah. And that came out in August of last year. Yeah. How does that happen? I, just for comparison purposes, I went to the New York Times bestseller list in August of last year. Obviously, these are traditional, traditionally published books by big-name authors. Uh, Dan- Danielle Steele had a new book that had come out a couple weeks before, it, uh, near the end of July, and it yeah. was number three or four on the bestseller list. She has about 200 fewer reviews than you do. I, I found that astonishing for a number of reasons. You're a first-time author at that point. It was your first published work, and people enjoyed it to the point where well over 700 of them were were willing to write reviews. They weren't all brilliant reviews. Just had to sound that phone off. Yeah, well, I mean, we don't know how many copies she's sold. Um, I I worked on the ratio. When it it got to about 50,000 sales, I had about 500 reviews and the ratio seemed to be about one every hundred and that's pretty common um, I don't know how many she sold on Kindle I know that a lot of um, New York Times bestsellers don't sell as well on Kindle um, on the Amazon stock because the prices are higher mm-hmm. so it'd be interesting to see her data but, but did you do anything uh, other than the, the normal at the end of the book if you enjoyed it please write a review did you do anything other than that yeah, I did. Uh, everyone who got in touch with me and said they loved it, I said, oh, thanks very much. Would you mind leaving me a review? Or it was the same on Facebook. Yeah, I, I, and um, uh, some of the people who wrote particularly nice emails, I would, I would offer them a, um, uh, an advanced review copy of the next book as well. So, um, not quite buying them, but I mean, I, it was all new to me and I was kind of blown away for the fact that people were actually getting in touch and saying that they liked it. I, I just didn't expect it. Yeah, as a first-time author whose expectations were pretty modest, uh, having people <laughs> write you fan emails it had to have been kind of cool. <laughs> yeah, it was it was bizarre, and but I mean, I was very thankful because I mean, the bottom line is, if it wasn't for these people, then I would still be going to work, uh, you know, in my normal job in the uh, technology industry, and 
I'm not now. So I'm thankful mostly to the readers who have supported me. Now let's let's talk about technology a little bit. Um, it, there's there's technology involved in self-publishing now. I mean, you you either do the formatting of the books yourself to have them published through KDP or whomever, or you hire someone to do that. Did you do your own formatting, or or did you hire someone? I used a um, Jason Anderson from Paul Garris Studios. He did an excellent job um, for Critical Dawn. Um, Colin does the formatting. Okay. He used to run the small press. He's pretty good at that. Um, but me personally, I I was happy rather than learn how to do it. And it's like, I don't know if it's laziness or, or I just I wanted to focus in other areas. I I paid Jason and he's pretty good. He does Hugh Howe's formatting and um, yeah, he's, I mean he's such a great service. I mean, it's forty eight hours turnaround. Did he format both for the ebook and the physical book? Yeah, he uh, gives you a discount if you take both. Okay. And he, the physical formatting, uh, it's, it's the page numbers and putting your name and the title on alternating pages at the top and bottom and um, getting the font right and giving you a page count that you want and uh, creating the PDF for you so you can upload it straight onto the CreateSpace platform. And yeah, with a Kindle, he just gives you the mobile file and, and allows you to go back to him um, a couple of times with corrections if, you, if you've got an update or you've noticed some typos. So he's, he's pretty good like that. Um, I, I, I just found it a breeze. He was so easy to work with. Now, with uh, Critical Dawn, you guys also did a Goodreads giveaway as, as a part of your marketing strategy. I, when, when, from a timing perspective, did you start that, and how did it work out for you? We started the Goodreads giveaway before we published because um, you can run them by just putting up the cover because we knew in advance when we'd have the um, CreateSpace paperback copies ready. So you can, I think Colin uploaded the cover and we offered to give away three signed copies and I think about 980 people signed up to, or at least requested the book, which means that they put you on the shelf and it, it builds up some visibility. Um, so and that's, that's they're putting you on the to-be-read shelf? Yes, some to be read. Um, hopefully, some people read off the back of it. They might see it and think, "Oh no, I didn't win it. I might buy it." I don't. You know, it's impossible to get data from these things, but I think it's a worthwhile experience giving away three books just to give it some visibility on the Goodreads site. Well, when you, certainly when you get that that much uh, traction from it, it, it yeah. what, one of the things that puzzles me about data and the self-publishing into the business or traditional publishing as well is the black hole. Um, that so much of this data is in, inside of. You just can't get it out. There are, you can get numbers from Amazon, you can get numbers from Goodreads, you can get, sort of get numbers every so often from your publisher, but they're, they're not fixed numbers. For the, the Goodreads, I'm sorry, the Amazon sales rank, for example. Um, you're a technology guy, can you explain it to me? Yeah, um, I, I've, I've kind of come up with a system to work it all out, um, and there's a few sites that I I, I crunched the data together to come out with it. Um, so I, I could give you a basic chart that, that will give you how many sales a day equates to what the rank is. But then to delve a little bit, bit deeper than that, if you want to analyze certain books and look at the performance, um, you can go to eReader IQ and um, put in the book and it'll tell you the price of uh, it, the full history of the book. Then if you go to novelrank.com and click on sales rank for the same book over the same period, it will give you the rank. And you can see fluctuations quite often between um, price and rank, or, or occasionally um, 
price and promotion. If you see a book on promotion, then check two weeks later to see the impact of it at what price it was doing, whether it's two ninety nine or ninety nine cents. And um, if you put the table of uh, sales versus price rank um, against all of this that I've got, you can pretty much work it all out. Do you think most people do that? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'm a bit of a geek. <laughs> <laughs> I think most people go to Amazon and see a sales rank and say, geez, I wonder what that means. It's, yeah. uh, you know, you see a sales rank of 5,000. What does that mean? How, how many books do they sell? And, and the whole um, speed with which books are selling and how that impacts the, the Amazon ranking, it, it, it's, it's like it's cloaked in clouds or something. It's really hard to, to break through and see what's, see what's going on, but it sounds like you have a process for doing that. Yeah, 5,000 uh, worked out to 25 books a day. Did you use this information before deciding to write your books? Did you, for example, say, this genre is selling particularly well, should I write in this genre? Or was that a consideration at all before you started writing? No, it wasn't. Um, otherwise, I'd, I'd be writing steamy romance. Um, but... <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I always wanted to write in the genre that I liked in, but part of that was um, having a look at um, who was publishing and what prices they were selling for. Mm-hmm. Um, comparing it is to trads because uh, Ed Robertson, he's got a good series out. Um, he was around at the same time as me and you're not going to go in there as a first-time author and price yourself above um, already successful indies. So that was definitely a consideration and it was also, um, it would be nice just to get some readers. So I wanted to provide some value by giving a lower price um, than I wouldn't say competitors because we don't compete against each other but some people in, in the same category and then um, and doing it that way, and it kind of worked. Um, but I, I, I'm, I'm always—I think I'll always write in sci-fi or techno thrill and everything. So that's my thing. I couldn't write about something I don't enjoy. It's—it's it's, it's interesting because so many first-time authors don't do what you did, where they have a promotional price to try and get readers. They just think, "Well, I spent X number of hours writing this book, and I'm probably only going to sell—you know—pick a number." Uh, a thousand. So to make my money, I have to charge five ninety nine without going to see that there are people that are selling a million books a year that are selling their books for two ninety nine or three ninety nine or ninety nine cents. It's uh, it it really is critical, especially for authors who are trying to build a name the way that that you were able to do with your first book. Yeah, it's um, it's kind of quite. Uh... And, you know, I hope nobody hates me for saying this, but it's short-sighted if you've got no books out and you put one out and put it at a high price and it doesn't sell um, because you want to recoup costs. Um, I mean, I I like to look at the long game and it's hopefully building a group of readers who like what I do. And starting from scratch, that's quite a mountain to climb. So I I just tried to figure out the best way of how to do that. And, And again, this gets back to seeing your books as a product. And what do you do to build demand for that product? And, you know, what traditional retailers do is they have a sale. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's, that's right. And, and um, it starts getting word of mouth if it's a good product. And the only way you can do that is by doing a promotion and getting it out there. And it's, it's common with most brands, isn't it? Um, I Quite often I go into Manchester Town Centre and um, there's... Um, ladies in bright t-shirts handing out chocolate bars and gentlemen and or or a new newspaper or some product mm-hmm. 
and they're just promoting it and getting out there. Some people might eat and think, oh, I like that. Tell a friend in the pub or, you know, whatever. It's, it's that kind of thing, isn't it? And um, I would never, I, I couldn't imagine I go into a supermarket and um, look along the freezer at my favourite frozen pizzas and just go to a new one I'd never heard of that was priced above all the others with a poor packaging. You're right. And uh, it wouldn't make a lot of sense. And then so it, it, also when you do that, the, the way you did it opened you up for all these other marketing opportunities because you sold books, got reviews, so you were eligible for all these other things. Um, is, there a, is there one of those things that worked better than the rest, or do you just kind of lump them all together? Uh, for example, um, was there one paid marketing opportunity that you did that, that just blew away the rest? Yeah, well, um, I think it's kind of common knowledge that BookBub is the best, but they won't, you have to be at list price for three months before they take you. Right. Um, um, so to, uh, I guess, rewinding a little bit back from that, the best thing that I've done, and I've, I've used it with Critical Dawn as well, um, I mean, E&T are very good, and their 10 reviews, E-Read and News Today, I think when we did Critical Dawn, just through their site, from their click-throughs, they can tell because they've got Amazon affiliate accounts. We've got 200 sales um, by using their advertisement. And that's that costs nothing. Um, they just take a very small percentage of your sales. Um, I would say that the best thing to do, um, which does blow away everything else, is to make sure that your ads are clustered. Um, quite often, I read on K-Boards someone saying, I used Book Blast and I sold some on the day, but nothing happened after that. Or I used... Um, Kindle books and tips so, you know, sold 20, 30 copies and then it just went back to normal but the, the way the Amazon algorithms operate and this is kind of you can, I can figure it by looking at the data is that um, they favour books that have sustained sales at a lower level over a longer period rather than a large individual spike like a book bub mm-hmm. um, because if you do get those sustained sales over 3-4 days then you will go up in the rankings and by clustering the ads of Kindle Books and Tips, BookSends, Bargain Booksy, and Kindle Nation Daily as well, which was excellent the last time we used it, you can achieve that. And it just takes a little bit of coordination. Now, you mentioned, you mentioned um, affiliate links for the books and uh, ENT. Did, did you give them the link or did they use their own link and then just give you the data that you could track? Yeah, yeah, they use their own links. So I believe you get paid for it, don't you? Um, yes, yeah, they do. And I, that, obviously that's their business. I just didn't know whether they share that data with you. And, and so they did. They do. They share the data with you and charge you accordingly. Uh, I think they ask for like 15% of what you make. Um, mm-hmm. But it's totally worth it because um, after we used them, we went to number one in, the, um, in our genre. Do you use different affiliate links uh, to track things on your own? No, it's, it's something I really want to get into. Um, I've tried a Facebook uh, advert before. It said it got 152 clicks, but it's impossible without using an affiliate account to track um, exactly how effective that was. I mean, it sounds good on paper because, you know, 152 clicks, $20, but um, right. if that, you know, if it translates to one sale, then it's, it's not worth it. But, you know, if it translates to 50, then yeah, it is. And what we're talking about for people who might not understand is it's possible to get, if you're an Amazon affiliate, you can set up different accounts. So you could have a, an affiliate link for Facebook ads. You could have an affiliate link for something that you posted on Twitter. You could have an affiliate link for uh, sales opportunities that come through your website or uh, 
you know, a partner website so you can track individually uh, what each of these are doing. And it's a, it's a pretty good strategy, uh, for, at least for tracking. It, it's so hard to track things that anything that you can do to give you a little bit more data gives you a bit of an advantage. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, and, and that's kind of the frustration. Um, I don't want to keep mentioning other people because it's not fair, but I, I have heard some people say, well, I don't want to do those sales because there's no way of knowing whether they have any positive um, impact or not. Well, it's quite easy, really, because if you track your own things, then you can see the bumps um, along your KDP dashboard um, for when you use the ads. And that should give you a pretty good idea um, of how it's good. But yeah, beyond that, you, you will never drill it down to an exact figure. And I can't, you know, I can't lose sleep over, you know, whether I know it's um, 60 or 55 or 40. I'll, I'll just know that I've got a, a decent boost out of it. Yeah. And if you're, if you're looking at your, your sales chart and you've run a marketing idea and your, your sales chart is flat, it didn't work. You don't have to worry about how effective it was. It didn't work. If it didn't, if it didn't bump your sales up, it didn't work. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I mean, you can just discount it. It's, and that happened to us with a couple of sites. A few new um, players come into the market, and I won't mention them, it's not fair, but we used them and we didn't see any kind of benefit from them. But it was worth trying, and we just know in the future that we won't go there until we hear different. And the, the nature of the beast is that everything changes constantly. So six months from now, when you're, you're doing the fourth book in the critical series, it, it, they may be the place to go. Yeah, exactly. And, um, and it's just highlighted by the fact that um, the launch strategy last August is completely different um, in June um, because, or, or May, June, when we did it. And we're only talking eight, nine months and the game's completely changed. And I mean, part of being able to, part of being able to keep up with it is just keeping an eye on the performance and checking some of the boards and seeing what the results are and seeing what other people make of it. Um, but I, I think also it's important to to test yourself as long as it's not too expensive, because um, I mean, I, I, Kindle Nation Daily, for example, I, I, mean, I know a certain forum has a bit of a downer about it, but we had, I mean, they, we had an excellent result with Book Gorilla and they. They package their emails quite nicely, and I've only got good say, good things to say about them. So, I guess I mean it's, it's each to their own. Um, a lot of times, and I certainly don't think I've got exactly the right answer, but I know that I've got the answer at the moment that works for me. And that's all you can really it's all you can really hope for. If you do have exactly the right answer today, it won't be the right answer tomorrow anyway. So you have to be willing to experiment and just chalk it up to marketing costs. Yeah, absolutely. And um, um, I guess, I mean, beyond all this, then um, you actually needed a good book as well, don't you? It's, um, uh, but, but, I mean, the, the writer for me is the main bulk of it. Um, what we're talking about now is kind of the peripheral activities. But um, I, I do, I, I mean, I, it's always been in my nature to like to know things back to front when I'm, I'm kind of doing this. I, I, I don't like to have um, loads of loose threads everywhere or... or things not known um, that could be known to me that, that could benefit or, or not benefit me you know, without, without that kind of knowledge. But yeah, it's, um, I, I do definitely think the, the business aspect is very important when being an indie. And if it's ignored, it's probably to the author's detriment um, unless they're already very successful or they can rely on a big mailing list. 
Yes, and obviously the writing is the most important thing, and, and I'm glad that you said that, because if the book's not any good, you can market the heck out of it, and you can be a great marketer, but it's not going to have any legs long term. You might, you might get the occasional sales bump, but if you're trying to build a business around something, you can't trick people. You, you have to have good quality products. Um, a couple other business questions, and then I want to get to uh, some craft questions as well. You use KDP Select for both books. Have you? Uh, that's obviously a conscious decision. Is that something that you're going to do going forward, or are you going to experiment uh, offering books on some of the other electronic platforms? I may experiment. I haven't decided yet. And you're right, it is a conscious decision to be in KDP Select. And part of the reason um, is that the um, because of the borrows that you get when you're in KDP Select, countless sales, and you mm -hmm. get paid for the borrows um, from the uh, lending library. And also... Um, the countdown deals are pretty good and I don't believe the countdown deal is something that you just set against the book and then see if it works or not I, I, the way I see the countdown deal is something that you can set on your book to still get the 70% royalties and then drive readers to it by um, using some of the advertising sites and you're, you're not necessarily, I mean you, you're just presenting yourself on the advertising sites and then they go through and they can see that you're on for a bargain price mm -hmm. Um, that's how I see countdowns being leveraged. I don't think they're a standalone tool, but um, I, I found it, and uh, I speak to people like John Lundy, he's found it very effective as well. So I, I do like the countdown deal for being in select. And I kind of have to balance, by losing the countdown and losing the um, uh, the ability to run those kind of promotions and, and losing the borrows, would I, is, is that worth sacrificing for going to the other stores? And when I see other people's results, and I'm talking about science fiction here, not romance, um, I, I, I'm not sure it is. You know, I, I, I don't know anyone who sells really well on all the other stores. And that's a good point. You don't always have to take the bullet yourself to learn things. But by participating in these boards and talking to other authors, you can let other people run the experiment and benefit from, from their knowledge the way we're benefiting from your knowledge right now. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, when I first started doing all this, um, KBOS was a vital resource because you could go in there and find other people's experiences. I mean, some of it can, can be taken with a pinch of salt, but some of it's really informative. And a lot of people uh, actually will, you know, swear that um, KDP Select is the devil. But then some of the other people you speak to say it's really good. So... I started off in Select um, because of the borrows and because of the things you can do in there, the tools, and I found it really good. And um, and I asked other science fiction authors, how are you doing on the other stars? What are you thinking? And quite a few of them said, we're actually thinking of coming back into Select. Um, we, we're not seeing the benefits. Um, I've got, across all the other stars, I've got five sales. I used to get like 50 borrows. It's, it's just not worth it. And for people who may not know what a borrow is, when you're part of KDP Select, it, it, as an Amazon, if you're an Amazon Prime member, you'll oftentimes see a book and it'll say it's $4.99 or $5.99 or borrow it for free. So if, if, I'm the, if I'm the potential purchaser, I can buy the book for $4.99 or I can borrow it. And if I borrow your book for a month, you get paid. You don't, you don't necessarily get 70% of $4.99, but you get something. Yeah, yeah, and that's what we're talking about. And they appear on the right-hand side of the dashboard. And, um, I mean, that's one thing I noticed. Uh, one thing I noticed with First Activation and Critical, Don, you don't necessarily get them when you're running at promotional prices, but when you're at list price, the, the numbers do increase. And I'm, I'm, 
I'm surprised at the number of people that will borrow books that are 99 cents. Yeah, John said that to me as well. He, he was scratching his head a little bit, but um, <laughs> it's each to their own, though. I mean, they, I mean, they may have downloaded um, twenty free books and, and yes, just yeah, for the prime. I mean, I, I, I don't know readers' habits, but um, I, I imagine it must be something like that because if I was to use it, it would be for um, an expensive book. It, you and me both. Um, yeah. You, you pay to have paperbacks, paper books. Uh, formatted. So you're, you're obviously selling paper books. Can you share what percentage is paper out of, out of your total sales? Not, not in dollar amounts, but in, in units. Yeah, it's, um, it's quite low. Um, the ratio is about 1 to 200. Um, wow. Kindle, yeah, Kindle copies to paper. Um, uh, kind of. Um, the the paper is like a nice to have, and I think it makes it look you know, you've got the all-round package, then you've given someone the option for paper as well. And some people just don't have Kindles, do they? They only read paperbacks. But um, it's also good to use for giveaways. And um, uh, some of the um, advanced review copy readers that um, uh, were kind enough to read a review critical down, we're going to send them a paperback too. Um, and uh, they've all appreciated it as well. And I, th- I think it's that, that relationship you've got to have. I mean, I mean, you've got to appreciate the people that are, are willing to support you. Absolutely. And having a physical product that's probably signed by the authors is, is a great thing to have. Yeah, yeah. Um, and um, I'm totally happy to do that because, you know, the, I don't think you can put a price on things like that. It's, uh, I mean, you can never um, take the readers for granted. And, and that's a kind of, you know, in the approach that I take, I always try to improve my craft and improve the story and improve the quality and make things better. So, Hopefully, people will stay with me and enjoy what I produce. Now, that, that's a great transition to uh, some craft questions. Mm-hmm. You came out of a military and technology background, and your first book sold 50,000 copies. So somehow or other, you <laughs> trained yourself to write commercial fiction. What, how did you do it? Um, I mean... <laughs> I had a decent level of English in the first place, but I mean, as we both know, that's that's got nothing to do with fiction writing. Um, there was there's two ways how to do it. I mean, I I read aircraft book and uh, I thought I understood it, and then submitted first to my editor, um, content editor Harry DeWolf, and he got back to me with all kinds of stuff that I I hadn't even considered. And um, I, I like to be quite self analytical, and I looked at it and thought, well, I, you know, I, I perhaps. I haven't put enough focus on this side of things. And it was quite good to have a teacher like that, just to show you those things in, in the comment box. He, he uses some codes um, that he gives you a sheet and codes things in, um, you know, where, where you, you know, you're using passive voice or um, you've got tense problems or it's a cliche. And I don't mean a cliche as in a um, you know, man running off into the sunset, punching his fist in the air. I mean the um, cliche as in somebody hovering by a door, you know, um, that kind of thing. Um, it's actually, you know, it, it, I was surprised that I used a lot more than what I did. And it's nice to be able to get that. And it also, once these things are pointed out, it got me thinking about my writing a lot more when I was writing these things. Is the tense right? You know, is, is, the, um, is the active voice for the action? Um, are the cliches, is, is it too heavy on the cliche side? I mean, not necessarily in dialogue because people talk like that in real life to make it realistic but in the narrative um, 
And yeah, I mean, it, it was good. So uh, I got that. I and I ran through a second draft, and there was improvements, and I was encouraged. When I say second draft, I mean second draft after editing. I mean a, right. a few drafts before submitted to him, and um, and that was a good way to learn. And obviously, Mo as well um, uh, helps on that score. But I mean, I'm I'm a reader anyway. I mean, I, I and I'm not an unobservant reader. Um, I. I when I, when I started doing it, I was still reading and I was watching how things were structured. Um, the only mistake I made in that respect was that I'm a big fan of Michael Crichton and he's a little bit old-fashioned in the fact that he uses a lot of exposition and info dumps that um, I kind of did a little bit, but I don't do that now. Um, I mean, moving on, I mean, I, I carry on reading the craft books. Colin recommended a, a good one to me. and He's quite an experienced writer, so it's good writing with him as well. Mm-hmm. Um, because we can iron out all the kinks. And I just think that as long as I keep improving, and I think that I'm at a decent level now, in my own opinion, um, that I, I don't have to worry too much about the mechanics of it. It's just whether the story is interesting or not. That um, it, I'm, I feel a lot more comfortable in my skin writing now than when I started. But it's been a, a gradual process of improvement where I, I've been conscious not to take my eye off the ball and keep trying to do better things. <laughs> You hear people say from time to time, like like the 10,000-hour thing, it requires 10,000 hours to develop a certain skill. In, in writing, I've heard a number of people say it takes a million words. Do you have any sense of how many words you'd written before you felt like uh, your your writing was, was getting there? Probably close to half a million, I'd okay. say. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I wrote... Before I part first that situation, it wasn't the first thing I'd ever written. I, I wrote short stories and um, uh, another book, um, slight sport related, um, that's never going to see the light of day, but they were very good to practice on and, and start getting me into that um, that skill. Because I, I think it's almost like a, I mean, as bizarre as it sounds, like a, a muscle in your brain, you know, that you can exercise and make it a lot stronger. And once you're doing it regularly, um, you know, you just become fitter and, and and can produce it a lot more faster because um, I got to the point um, after first activation when we started on sequence where I was I was taking too long and thinking about it too hard um, because I, um, if I knew if I rushed um, it would probably be a mess and leave a lot of back end work so I was trying to nail it too much on the first draft but I think as, as I gather more experience it's not necessary because most of the first draft is quite good and you can pretty much polish it very quickly after you finish writing it but it's those kind of stages in development and I, I like to know and it goes back to the marketing I, you know I like to know the tricks and I like to know what works and um, I like to know what makes good fiction and pace and um, format and getting some you know some white space on the paper as well to allow the reader to breathe and um, it's uh, I mean, I don't know. You, I mean, you write. I mean, how, how, how did you find it? Well, I, I found that uh, similar to you, I, I started I, – well, first off, I made the assumption, like a, a lot of people do, that because I love to read, I could probably write. And then I started writing, and I was horrified at how little I understood of what I had read. I mean, I, I read and I get the story – but I didn't really understand story structure and scene structure and all of those things that you don't get until you start really paying attention. So the, the education process for me was, uh, was fairly steep and required you know, a, a lot of, you know, some classes and a lot of reading. Uh, like you said, you, you just keep getting books on, on craft. And 
every one that you read, there's something else in there that, that you can apply or that reminds you of something that uh, you should have done on the last book. It's, it, it is a, an, an ever-evolving process. It's, it, once you learn it, you're right. Once you learn it, you can crank it out, but you're never going to be as good as you could be. Uh, the next yep. book will always, hopefully, be better than the last. And that's one of the things that makes this so much fun. Yeah, totally, totally agree. Um, uh, I mean, self-editing for fiction writers, that, that was a good one I remember reading. And um, Sam Delaney about writing, um, some really good stuff in that. But I, I still read them now. I mean, I, I don't think I've, you know, the, the minute that I think I'm great or I've made it or anything, which I haven't, is probably the minute I start to go downhill. Um, if I wouldn't have done this, then I imagine I'd still be writing the same kind of short stories that I originally wrote with all of the mechanical problems in them. But um, yeah, it's it's just the way to move forward. And I know it's it's a slow, frustrating creep, but um, it just takes hard work to get there, doesn't it? It, it does. And I, I still remember the first time I got something back from a content editor. And you talked about using Harry for your first Harry DeWolf for your uh, for first activation and, and getting back his comments. It's it's both horrifying, and it's like light bulbs start going off in your brain. First, it's horrifying because, oh my God, I can't believe it was, you know, I had this many problems in the book. But then you start to see and understand how it could be improved. And it's very exciting then. So it, I, I think there are probably some people t that would just look at it and say, this is horrifying and, and uh, go back to work at uh, their technology job. And, and others who would say, wow, this is a great opportunity to learn something. And, and you're obviously uh, the latter category. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I saw it and then... And it was exactly as you said, okay, yeah, I completely get that. I can't believe I did it, feeling slightly embarrassed. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and uh, I think one of the things I did really early on, and I'm, I'm not ashamed to admit it because we all make mistakes, you know, is the said thing. And uh, part of this is confidence as well. And it also comes with using the exposition. Um, I think when you're a new writer, you don't feel that... Um, you conveying the story strong enough, you um, you feel like you want to give it more flavour, so you'll end up um, info dumping just to reaffirm it into the reader's mind what's happening, and instead of putting said, you would put um, re retorted, reply, <laughs> you know, blah, blah. Yeah. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm sure we've all been there. Well, most of us have been there, and it, it was just kind of one of those things, and and you get it in there. I mean, once I got more confidence in my writing, I wasn't bothered. I mean, you do see the occasional review on Amazon where people say you used said all the time, but actually the, the situation or, or the character or should should give you enough idea of um, whether the shouting it, hissing it, barking it, um, whispering it, um, whatever, you know. And and that's kind of the, the thing that I realised. But it was only getting that experience and, and knowing that you can convey the story well enough um, that uh, you know allowed me to be completely confident. Now you are an incredibly accessible guy. Um, yeah. I, w when you and I first talked in uh, Monique's uh, author forum, yeah. you were offering. But before you even know who knew who I was, you you were telling me that oh you know I I, I have I, I went through this process for a launch, and when you're ready to launch your book, let me know. And, yep. you know, I'll spend a couple hours with you explaining to you what I had done. I was flabbergasted by that. And I've, I've spoken to other people that have received the same offer from you and that have talked with you about yep. this. You're, you're incredibly accessible. Um, why? 
Because um, I've been there. And, uh, I mean, when you first releasing a book or, or um, loads of people don't know, you know, it can be a lonely and frustrating place. And um, if I can help anyone do what I've done, um, I'm happy. And that's the only payback you need, isn't it? Just helping other people. And it only takes two hours out of my day. I, I don't sit at a computer 24-7 writing. Um, I mean, I get some sleep, obviously, but oh, why not? I mean, why, why not? help and share other people um I, I don't see an issue with it i don't think we're in competition i mean we're all uh, i just think we should all be supporting each other and um if people want to know exactly what i've done i'm happy to share the information and that is that is very well put and it's a great place for us to close this um it, it we're not in competition there are we can't write books fast enough for readers to read them and if we can help one another become better writers or better business people, uh, that, which is what I'm trying to do with, with this podcast, um, you know, that, that's great for all of us as both writers and readers. So, Darren, I can't thank you enough for your time today. You, you've been a great guest. What's the best way for people to get in touch with you or, or follow you? It's uh, my, just Darren Wearmouth on Facebook. There's not many Darren Wearmouths kicking around. And it's the same on Twitter, at Darren Wearmouth. They're the two places to get in touch, and I, I always reply. And you've got an email list that, interestingly enough, you put on your author page at Amazon. So people can go to your Amazon author page and sign up for your email list, and they'll, they'll get information on whatever new book you happen to be working on. Well, Darren, best of luck with Critical Dawn. You've only, you're only a month into this, and it sounds like you've got some great adventures coming with some traditional publishing uh, avenues that are opened up to you now. And uh, again, I can't thank you enough for your time today. Well, thank you very much, Steve. It's been a pleasure talking to you as well. And that's a wrap for session two of The Author Biz. Please join us again next week when my guest will be one of my very favorite authors, New York Times bestseller Taylor Stevens, who will tell us about her new book, the fourth full-length novel in the Vanessa Michael Monroe series, The Catch, which will be released on July 15th. Taylor will also give us a detailed look at royalty advances, royalty payment streams, foreign and movie rights, and several great tips for things to negotiate hard for when you're dealing with a big five publisher. Thanks for listening today. I hope you found it helpful. If you'd like to find out more about the podcast, including past episodes, you can visit the website at www.theauthorbiz.com. You can also subscribe to the podcast at iTunes. If you have comments or suggestions for the show, you can leave them at the site or you can ping me on Twitter. I'm at Steve Campbell FL. Please join us again next week for another informative episode. 